0: Welcome everyone. This is Recovery Dharma. My name is Julia. I'm one of the wonderful facilitators we have. I'd like to set the intention of our practice today with a sentiment of metta, loving kindness. This is a little painting for anyone who's new. This is a little painting, little cards that I draw and paint and make. And then on the back, I write sentiments of loving kindness. Tenille is here today. Oh, no, no worries. Um, And this one reads, May your heart beat with the rhythm of life. May your heart beat with the rhythm of life. On Wednesdays, we try to cultivate uh, a Zen practice. And one of the things that we do is we've been exploring this wonderful book called Standing at the Edge by Roshi Joan Halifax, who is the abbess of the Upaya Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She is a pioneer in bringing forward socially engaged Buddhism as inspired by Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh from Plum Village. Roshi travels all over the world. She's in her 80s now, and this book focuses our attention and our growth on exploring qualities within the human experience. Qualities like respect, altruism and generosity, trust, compassion. And exploring them in such a way That we begin to examine the conditions that pull us in directions where we're we're either too generous and giving away too much, where we're too compassionate and no longer have any boundaries and we suffer the consequences of that, namely distress, compassion fatigue, burnout, On the other hand, when we don't engage these qualities, when we don't put ourselves in conditions that really expand and challenge these qualities, we avoid, we entertain aversions, and what ends up happening is we don't actually grow. So the edge state is that place of tension, push-pull, where if we go overboard and over the edge, we experience distress. If we don't get close enough to the edge, we stagnate. So it's a moving target. It's a little bit like the breath where the quality expands and contracts. And we get to practice equanimity with that, knowing that when we're in a constra- a contracted state, there's nothing wrong there. We're simply contracted for some reason worth exploring. So for example, when you feel your sense of generosity contracting There's usually an inner critic right there waiting to tell you what a bad person you are, what a selfish person you are, and how you need to be more giving, more sacrificial, more generous in every conceivable way. Never mind that you're exhausted. Never mind that your resources are depleted. The edge state says, wait a second, my resources are depleted and I'm exhausted. I need to contract, pull in my generosity and understand these conditions so that I can become more generous later. I don't become resentful, I don't become frustrated, I don't become burned out. I find a steady state where my generosity is steady. That's the edge state. Where my compassion is steady, almost, dare I say, limitless, because we understand the conditions that pull us in one direction or another. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about compassion One of the most important ideas to remember about compassion, that word, is it's all about being with. Calm is from the word to be with. Passion is to suffer. To suffer with. It doesn't mean to suffer as. So sometimes when our compassion is extended and we're in distress, we feel like we have to suffer as other people are suffering. This is why guilt comes into the situation. We see a situation that is pretty hopeless. There's not much that we can do to affect change, so we feel guilty. It is a way that the mind wants to suffer as whatever it is that we're witnessing. But to suffer with, as a maturely compassionate person, as someone who can really offer compassion in a limitless way, We begin to learn to bear witness to what we cannot control, to what we cannot change. However, our presence is unwavering, full of love, full of kindness. And the real question here, friends, is can you offer that kind of compassionate, bearing witness anchored, non-judgmental, not panicked, not overextended, bearing witness, purely present in love, in kindness, in encouragement. Can you offer that kind of compassion to yourself? Wow, what a question. For most people, the answer is no, I struggle with that. What a beautiful place to begin the practice of being gentle and kind and curious and present to yourself to simply acknowledge, I struggle with self-compassion. Would you look at that? Such a wonderful place to get curious. What are the conditions that are inhibiting me from expressing compassionate presence to myself? This is what Roshi has to say. A powerful aspect of compassion is related to moral character. Albert Schweitzer understood this when he wrote, quote, I can do no other than be reverent before everything that is called life. I can do no other than to have compassion for all. That is called life. That is the beginning and the foundation of all ethics. Friends, just taking those two statements in and remembering that each of you and me, we are part of the everything that is called life. We are a piece of everything that is life. If we're going to be reverent toward all that is called life, all that is, I- that is life, then we must exercise and learn to have degrees of reverence for ourselves. Now, this is not an invitation to have a guilt trip or a shame trip here. This is simply an awareness of, wow, I don't have a whole lot of reverence for myself. So let's take that really small. Let's put that into a small wonder. One small thing about yourself that you can begin as a seed to nurture and water in reverent ways. One of my favorite things to point people to in terms of a practice, one small thing that you can begin to nurture and care for in a reverent way are in you your elbows. That's it. Start small. Take care of your elbows. Julia, that is so weird. I know. Isn't that fun? That's what we want to do in these practices. We want to make them a little weird and a little fun. But your elbows are dry. They get dry. They do a lot of bendy things for us. Just spend a little moment in your day not bending your elbow and see how you enjoy life. It's really hard. Your elbows are key to a joyful life existence. Take care of your elbows. Be reverent toward your elbows. That is how you begin to cultivate the seeds of self-compassion. Roshi continues, Arthur Schopenhauer's perspective is compassion is the basis of morality. Being compassionate upholds our moral principles and gives meaning to our lives. When we restrain compassion, we feel that our moral identity is compromised. Allow me a moment to speak to the word moral and morality and even ethics so one of the vows we take as lay Buddhists is we refrain from sexual misconduct we refrain from any unethical conduct to the best of our our uh, best of our capacity our ability and that isn't because we're seeking to be holier than thou, we're seeking to be so spiritual and above the, the messiness of being human. The whole point of cultivating morality and wise ethical conduct is to become happier, more harmonized human spiritual beings. to devote ourselves to harm reduction. Harm reduction in as many forms as possible in our lives and by extension in the lives of others. When we restrain compassion... We feel like our moral identity is compromised. Something within us knows that when we deny ourselves compassion, we are out of integrity as a whole. That's the morality we're talking about here. And somewhere along the lines, most of us have adopted a story that has dictated that we shouldn't be nice to ourselves, we shouldn't be lenient, um, we shouldn't be kind. If we do, we're making excuses for ourselves, we're hustling. Compassion and morality is deeply steeped in honesty, humility, vulnerability, being real, because we want, we're motivated to be happy and to be free from the suffering we have been inflicting for so long. Roshi writes Goodness is inspiring, elevating, and fortunately, catching. I have long felt that compassion is central to being fully human. It is a key to reducing systemic oppression and nurturing a culture of respect, civility, and belonging. It is also an element in what makes cultures, organizations, and humans successful. To help us understand the necessity of compassion, science is making a strong case for its benefits and validating the importance of compassion for our survival and fundamental health. For some of us, science can point us back to who we really are. as you're nurturing reverence for your elbows. One of the most beautiful mantras, statements, that you can remind yourself of is this. I am a human being journeying recovery. I am a human being journeying to recover my true self. There it is. I am a human being journeying to recover my true self. Friends, please remember that your true self includes that part of you that has misused, abused, cultivated habit energy around substances, processes, food, relationships, and so on. That is not your identity. That is not who you are. That is a piece of who you are. And it has a tendency to layer upon layer other aspects of what make you a whole human spiritual being. The compassionate response to yourself is, I am a human being journeying to on the journey of recovery I am a human being journeying to recover my true self let those words come alive in you let them bring forward language that speaks your truth trust your knowing And maybe your knowing will compassionately guide you back to yourself. And uh, we'll go ahead and have a dedication of merit. Those of you who might be new to a Buddhist practice, anytime we bring forward the three jewels of Buddhism, the Buddha himself, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, the one who awakened and understood conditions, the causes of his own suffering. That Buddha nature is alive in each of us. There's nothing extraordinary to awaken. It is something for which we were all created to do, to understand, to see clearly the causes and the conditions of our own suffering, our own habit energy. It is available to each of us. Sudratha Gautama left a legacy by teaching what he understood to be true for himself, the Dharma. The teachings of the Buddha are supposed to come alive in each of us as individual unique human beings, part of a collective infinite consciousness. What worked for the Buddha only works for the Buddha. But his guidance, his teachings, his practices are there to encourage us to see what works for us. The third jewel in Buddhism is the Sangha, the community of wise friends. Anytime we come into the presence of these three jewels, we are guaranteed to be steeped in positive karma, healing, transformation. One of the obligations in kind of A strong word, I suppose, the word obligation, isn't to keep this for ourselves but to recognize that it will radiate out and reach other people. The goodness you have received here today will touch others by your presence, your eyes, your smiles, even your elbows. So we take a moment at the end of every practice to dedicate this goodness, to really anchor it, center it, and remind ourselves that our efforts here matter. May all beings everywhere feel at ease, and safe. May all beings everywhere awaken to the causes and the conditions of their own misery, habit energy, discomfort, suffering. May all beings everywhere come into the harmony of their wisdom and understanding. May all beings everywhere have courage to practice in presence, in beauty, in wonder. Thank you so much for your beautiful practice today, friends. We'll see you next time. Namaste.